Ephesians chapter number 4, Ephesians chapter number 4 this morning, and we're looking at verses 17 through 19, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. Our subject for this morning, as we've already mentioned, is the vanity of a Christless life. The vanity of a Christless life. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning there in verse number 17, and we'll read down through verse number 19. The Apostle Paul, penning these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Let's just read verse 20 just for to set our context fully this morning. But ye have not so learned Christ. Ye have not so learned Christ. Our subject this morning again, the vanity of a Christless life. The greatest obstacle or the greatest barrier, greatest hindrance, however you want to frame it, to belief in the gospel, the belief in Christ, does not originate in a man's intellect, but rather it originates in a heart that has been darkened by sin. Intellectual is not what hinders them from coming to the gospel. In Ephesians 4, in these verses, Paul is exhorting, of course, believers, but he's exhorting us to heed the warning that all men in their natural state are alienated from God and they are, in fact, living a Christless life. A Christless life is a life that can be defined as nothing less than vanity. We live in a world that says, live all that you can, get all out of this life that you can possibly get, strive, climb, push, pull, cheat, lie, steal, whatever you have to do, get all you can get out of this life. But in man's natural state, he's, as Paul writes, he's alienated from God And he's unable to pursue that which is spiritually good and that which is spiritually right. Now why is this? This is because of the fall. Man's fall into sin extends to every aspect of man. It extends into his intellect. It extends into his mind, into his heart. There is no part of man that's left without sin. That's why when we refer to total depravity, we're not stating that man is as bad as he could be. We're just stating that Sin does not find a limit. It's, it's infiltrated every aspect of his being. It corrupts his mind. It hardens his heart. It distorts even his discernment. It distorts his will. What's right? What's wrong? But you know what's interesting? That man, even in this fallen state of sin, convinces himself in his own ability and that his ability to reason and his, his sense of morality brings him some form of of worth. We understand that man, in spite of what he believes about himself, what's true about man is what God says about him. Great philosophers, great thinkers over the years have 
uh, have tried to bring people to the understanding that all we really need to bring ourselves out of the moral decay of our society, all we have to really do is just, we need to become smarter, we need more learning, we need more knowledge, we need to change the way we raise our kids in schools, we need to change it, we, we need them to, we need to reason our way out of this. Man cannot reason himself out of an immoral fallen state. He just cannot do it. He can't reason his intellect out and say, intellectually, I know I need Christ. Intellectually, I know that in order for this world to be better, I need Christ. If you are dependent upon people doing right in our country today, but suddenly they're going to do right, you're often asking people who are living a vain, Christless life to set the direction for the moral direction of a society. Moral direction is just that. It's just direction. Just because something is moral doesn't mean it's right. doesn't mean it's the God's way. Uh, even the fallen sinner has a sense of right and wrong. A person can be an unbeliever and know it's wrong to steal. They may live by that principle. They may live it's wrong to lie. They may know those principles, but that doesn't mean that they're not living a Christless life. Learning and knowledge will never produce a true knowledge of God or who Christ really is. It will never bring them to a place where they will understand sin, they will understand the gospel, but it will bring them to a place of pride. The more educated, again, I'm not against education. I have to say this every time. I, I am not against it at all. I'm, I'm against some types of education that are uh, nothing more than brainwashing us to believe the sin of a society. I guess I'm very much against that type of an education. And we are quickly zooming down that track, and that's for another day. But we are zooming down a track where we are attempting to change an entire culture. We're attempting to change a culture not for the better, but we are piling on to the vanity of a Christless life. We're actually adding more to the Christless society by the direction education and knowledge and our sense of intellect and morality is taking us. So Paul teaches us here and is showing us what man really needs is not more knowledge. Man doesn't need to have more education. He needs a new heart. He needs a new mind. He needs, he needs to be renewed. What he ultimately needs is to be freed from the sin that has him in chains. He needs to be removed from the bondage of sin. He needs to be no longer mastered by his sin, but rather he needs to master his sin. Again, sinless perfection, no. But he should be living a different way. He needs to, the principle is to put off the old man and put on the new. So we understand that freedom from sin only comes through the sovereign grace of God. My freedom in Christ today, my Christ-centered life or desire to live for Christ doesn't come from intellectual ascent, but rather it comes from a work that God has done in me that makes me desire Him. I don't desire Christ because I read about Him in a book. I desire Christ because He made me willing to desire Christ. I desire Christ and His teaching because He's renewed, He's, re he's regenerated, He's converted me. Not because I'm morally higher than someone else. But it comes to the sovereign grace of God working to the Spirit. That's why it's so vitally important that we pray that God would work in the hearts and minds of others to reveal Himself. If you want to change the moral direction of a society to the Christ 
centered way, then we should be praying for Christ to reveal himself to those who are setting those boundaries, who are setting those directions. I often get labeled as being a pessimist when I say this, but if you are expecting a Christ-centered society this side of heaven that is fully relying on living for Christ, I'm sad to tell you that will probably never be the case. Do I believe God could break through and could God do a, give us another great awakening in some senses? Absolutely. But I also know that trying to Christianize a society apart from God's work and the work of the Spirit is not going to change the direction. So what does Paul do to prove these points? Remember, Paul is primarily writing to people who have already should have already put on the new man. This is one of those examples in Scripture. Remember, we looked last week how we were dealing with the gifts of Christ and the gifts of the Spirit and how we as a church and as a body, we are to have unity. We are to, uh, we are to not be tossed to and fro with every weight of doctrine or wind of doctrine, rather. We're not to be deceived by the slight of men and craftiness. Speak the truth in love. We're to be the body fitly joined together for the effectual working, every parts to work together so that we will edify one another. And that's what leads us to the context where Paul descends into verse 17. He says, this I say, therefore. Uh, that's, a, that's an expression, all that I've just told you, here's what I'm saying this, here's the reason why I'm mentioning this to you. And he, he puts it right where it is. He, he descends right down into the life of a Christian, the Christian living out his doctrine. He, he begs them to come back to the principles of their conduct. Uh, folks, I don't know any other way to say this. Our conduct and our actions in society and in life, they do matter. They're not saving us. They're not making us better. But our conduct and our actions should reflect the change. They should reflect that we are no longer living a vain, Christless life. We are now living a life that is dominated by Christ, being the very, the very reason why we live. And yet... Paul's going to draw a comparison between the conduct and the actions of the Gentiles before their conversion. And he sets really a frightening comparison between those who eyes who are darkened, the Gentiles, and the children of God. Let's make no mistake, he's talking about the unregenerate and the regenerate. Those who are unconverted, those who are converted. In these men, these types of society, every single person who lives today is either unregenerate or regenerate. There is no such thing as an almost regenerate man. There's no, there's no such thing as a person standing on the doorstep so that if they were to die today, they would be in the presence of the Lord. You're either regenerate or you're unregenerate. You're either in Christ or you're out of Christ. There is no, I'm almost in or I've got one foot in and one foot out. You are either in Christ or you're not in Christ. If you are unregenerate today, if you are unsaved, you are unconverted, you are living a vain life. And you say, that's not nice to say. I'm saying this with a plea to you that life without Christ is vanity. Life without Christ as the very heart of who we are will never lead a society or a person to a place that will bring any glory to God. Paul demonstrates that these men, these unregenerate men, their minds are corrupted. Their mind is given over to vain thoughts. Their senses are darkened. He uses these illustrations of our senses. 
And he's he dark and he's, he, he's saying they're they're darkened with uh, things and affections that wickedness doesn't even seem to stop them anymore. Imagine living a life where you don't even think about the consequences of sin, nor do you even think about how sin is a transgression against the holy God. Now, as a child of God, you cannot think that way. Uh, this may be a bold statement, but you cannot be a child of God and not think about your sin. Now, you may have prayed a prayer someday, but you're, you are constantly aware of the reality of the sin in your own life. You're aware of the temptations. You may not always know what they are, but you're aware of, I do not want to sin against my God. Just like Joseph said when he, he ran out of that room, he said, how can I do this wickedness against my God? Joseph could have rationalized all the reasons how nobody will find out. Nobody will find out about this sin. And yet he ran out of that place and he finds himself in prison for doing what's right. Sometimes it looks like the Christless life is the more appealing life. You look out onto society today and all the sinners seem to be having all the fun. When I say sinners, I don't mean that we're without sin. But it looks like that's where all of real living is. Can I tell you, it's all vain. It's vanity. It's like looking into a mirror one day and thinking, I'm never going to age. I'm never going to look different. I'm always, I'm always going to be this beautiful. Or I'm always concerned about the outward, but I'm never dealing with the inward. Vanity is really getting caught up in our own pride. It's getting caught up in our own desires. And when we have no Christ in our life, we run full speed into everything that's unclean, everything that's filthy, everything that is destitute because we don't even believe in the judgment of God. Paul really is not delving into something lightly. I don't know if Paul ever delves into anything lightly. But he says, this I say therefore in verse 17, and testify in the Lord, demonstrate again authority, this is, this is God's word, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. He clearly states how they walk in the vanity of their mind. He draws a line between the Gentiles who are unregenerate. And remember this church at Ephesus, there were Gentiles and Jews who were now worshiping together. He says, don't walk that way. Do not walk as the way that they walk. This is where we're to take special care. Now as regenerate, converted believers, do not walk like the ignorant, unconverted heathens walk. Don't walk without concern. That's the idea. That's the principle. Then he gives particular or specific instances of why the Gentiles who are unregenerate walk. So the principle today is the vanity of a Christless life. The vain life is a life that is walked in unregenerate. They are an unregenerate individual. The phrase in the vanity of their mind... Paul says that's the first statement. He says, don't walk this way like the vanity of the mind. What is it to have the vanity of the mind? It means to follow your own imaginations. It means to follow your own direction. It means to walk with no regard for God. 
no revelation from God, with no desire to even worship God. It's to disregard God. Now Paul's already taught us way back in Ephesians 2 verses 2 and 3 that before we were converted, we walked like that. Verses 2 and 3 of Ephesians 2 says, Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That's the vanity of that's the vain mind. A vain mind only walks according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that works disobedience, the lust of our flesh, we fulfill the desires. It doesn't say we want to fulfill, we actually fulfill them. I'm going to say this carefully. Many, many people who are walking in an unregenerate state today are completely fulfilling and satisfying their desires. They're actually getting what they're looking for. And as a result, they are falsely believing that this is living. Yet all they're doing is heaping upon themselves more and more destruction. Again, we talked in our study this morning about the consequences of sin and how sin always has consequences. We used to walk that way, Paul says, but now we've been brought into the knowledge of Christ. Now we, pardon the expression, we know better. Our life, our walk, our conduct, our conversations should not be like that of the unregenerate. Just a question. It shouldn't be easy for us to converse and to talk and to have things in common with an unregenerate person. Now again, folks, I realize I'm not talking about perfection here. But sadly, sometimes we have more in common with the unregenerate than we do the regenerate. We have more things we meet on, and it shouldn't be that way. Now, I realize we're going to work with people that are unconverted, opportunity to speak the gospel to them, but realize that there is a way in which people are walking, and we should not envy their walk. I have sadly seen this way too many times. I've seen this story play out way too many times. And I'm going to use the examples that I know of without giving names. Of where husbands and fathers decided that they were missing out on really living. Decided that that family that they had was not enough. And decided to go out and fulfill all the lusts and desires of their flesh. Left their wife, left their kids. And are now living an entirely new life. Claiming that they have the blessing of God on it. Folks, be very careful about... What we compare and saying God has his blessing upon fulfilling the lust of our desires. Simply saying, look, this is what I want to do. This is living. It's the vain mind. Vanity of the mind is a philosophy that's vain. It's empty. The vanity of the mind includes foolish thoughts of our own self-worth. If you have a high self-worth or a high elevated view of yourself, it often means you have a low view of God. If I view myself in an exalted fashion, I can guarantee you my view of God is very low. We hear expressions like this all the time. Well, God just wants me to be happy. Sir, I'd like you to point that out in Scripture where it says your intent, God's intended purpose for you was to be happy. 
that wasn't the intended purpose for you. Your intended purpose is to live for the glory of God, especially as a believer. And yet, sometimes we can get drawn into this. I think Paul is reminding them of this because I think he truly believed that there was a tendency to fall back into a Christless life. Folks, we've all got to guard against this. We know it's vanity. We know it ends in destruction. But that old nature that he's talking about likes to keep reminding us, hey, I think God's keeping something from you. You know, I think God's just preventing you from really enjoying what the rest of the world is enjoying. That vain mind has a low view of God. It pursues worldly riches above all else. It pursues honor. It, pursue, it pursues after that which brings uh, admiration. A vain life is a life that's always seeking to find pleasure and finding happiness in the world. You will never find it in this world. Whatever you're striving for this world to deliver to you, you're never going to find it. It'll never be enough. People who say, I just need, I just need these riches. I just need this much. I just need this job. I'll, I'll always be happy. I'll always be content. That will never bring you happiness. A Christless life is vain because it, it's empty. Oh, you appear to have something, but at the end of the day, really, you have nothing more than something that will leave you wanting more. Over in Psalm 39, if you'd like to turn there this morning, the psalmist gives an illustration of life. And it's, it, was a, it was a powerful expression um, that I saw this morning. And what's interesting is, is it's in the context of controlling the tongue. And I, I, when I first read it, I thought, well, what's this have to do with the idea of life here? But David makes mention of this vain life. Look at verse 1, Psalm 39. He said, I said, I will take heed to my ways, that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. I was dumb with silence. I held my peace even from good, and my sorrow was stirred. My heart was hot within me while I was musing. The fire burned. Then spake I with my tongue. Now notice what he requests here. Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is that I may know how frail I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as a handbreadth, mine, and mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Surely every man walketh in a vain show. Surely they are disquieted in vain. He heapeth up riches and knoweth not who shall gather them. Of course, David compares the life in Christ and a life without Christ. We are all before Christ, every man's life, our entire state, even the best man in our society without Christ is a vain life. We tend to elevate celebrity. I'm not sure in my lifetime, I'm not sure if we have ever put celebrities on a higher pedestal than we are right now. You realize celebrities are driving policies. Celebrities are influencing legislation. We look and we say, now that's a powerful voice. That powerful voice without Christ 
is a vain voice. Our young people are watching the power of celebrity and they're watching the power of influence. There's another word I never thought I would have to become familiar with. To be an influencer. I can make six figures being an influencer if I know the right people and I promote the right things. You're promoting a vain life. It's interesting, we don't see many, we don't see many Christ influencers trying to influence society for Christ, but the influencers of that which is wrong is on the rise, and celebrity status has reached proportions I never thought I'd see. Our role models are people who are celebrities who are living vain, Christless lives. And Christians are buying into this. We see celebrity Christianity. I never thought I'd see the day when pastors and preachers would become celebrities. I'm telling you, if you're preaching the word, you're not going to be a celebrity. You're going to have people wanting to stone you if it was legal. Now we're, we're deciding that this is, this is what it ought to be. Now again, that may be an extreme example, but remember... A life without Christ is a life that has its vanity. It has no purpose. Again, what would our prayer be for those? Our prayer would be that God would open their eyes to the truth. But notice Paul goes on and he says, not only is the vanity of the mind, now he gives these more specific examples. He says, having the understanding darkened. I want you to stop there and just think about that phrase for a minute. Having the understanding darkened. This doesn't just mean it's dim. This describes a mind that is void, missing, lacking, saving knowledge. When your understanding of God is darkened, it's void of even the saving faith and knowledge of God. I cannot imagine a worse place to be in than having a mind and an understanding that's darkened. Void of God. And these are Paul's words. Being alienated from the life of God. So we see understanding darkened, a mind void of saving knowledge, alienated from the life of God, that is from a godly life. They are strangers to the life in which God commanded them to. And the very life in which God the Father reproved and sent His Son to die for. Now that phrase, the life of God, is an interesting phrase. The life of God is a reference to our holiness or the way in which we live. You, you realize today as a child of God, God requires us to live a holy life. Now I know today... Many people say, when you start talking about my conduct, or talking about my actions, living a holy life, they misuse the label, legalist, legalist, you're telling me what to do, tell me what to wear, tell me what to say, you're a legalist. Say what legalism means. Legalism means being able to save yourself apart from Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with declaring God's truth. God's the one telling you, don't walk that way. I didn't make it up. But yet, God's demand in this passage, and we'll see more about this next week, He demands that we put on the new man and we put off the old. So if you want to call God a legalist, call God a legalist. But please, 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 use the term legalism properly. 
It's become a popular mantra in the contemporary church. We don't talk about legalism here. Well, explain to me what legalism is. God demands a holy life. It's a life He requires because of the work which He's done in us. It's the life where God is living in us because the Spirit dwells within us. So the life that we live is a life that's supposed to be lived unto God. If the presence of the Spirit is there, it should result in a different life. Now the Ephesians, just like every one of us, they had the same struggle with their own sin. They had the same struggle with uh, living to the flesh. But remember, before conversion, you were alienated from that life. In other words, you couldn't live a holy life before you knew God. It kind of brings me that illustration of where instead of just giving people the gospel, we want them to clean themselves up first and then they're welcome. You can't expect an unconverted, unregenerate person to live a holy life. They have no idea what it is. They have no power to do it because the Spirit doesn't dwell within them. You're asking somebody to conform to something they don't even have an understanding of. But yet Paul's talking to people who do have an understanding, but he says they do not have an understanding because it's been darkened. They're alienated from the life of God just like you once were. The unregenerate doesn't want to live a life of holiness. They want to live a life that is given over to whatever they want. Can you imagine getting up every day trying to find a way to sin? That's what a life alienated from God does. We have this idea that they just kind of stumble into sin. No, they actually go looking for it. They actually go try to find, I want to find sin to get involved in. That's what the alienated life does. That's what having an understanding darkened does. Notice he says, through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. It makes us wonder how many times we've been surrounded by people and we've, we watch people who hear the truth of the gospel over and over and over again and yet they remain in their current state. They have no desire to repent and they are willing to live in their atheism. They're willing to live a life that is dominated by sin. That's a Christless life. Now I understand how the inner workings of God, we understand that God sends this blindness of the heart. We understand that man makes his heart uh, hardened. The example of Pharaoh, everybody says, who hardened Pharaoh's heart? And ultimately, people say it's either God or him. You, you read the scripture about Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his own heart, and yes, God did harden it as well. Man is responsible. And yet, there is this aspect of where God removes that light in its entirety. Imagine being ignorant of the saving knowledge of God, having your heart hardened against God to where you say unspeakable things to the God of the universe. You blatantly, in the face of God, flaunt your sin. I'm not going to say much about this, but Christians, you better keep an eye on this Equality Act. You better keep an eye on it. You're changing. It's, a, it's in many ways, it's a flaunting of sin right in the face of God. And it's being flaunted by people who have no concern about the Christ-centered life. Oh, but preacher, it's going to benefit so many things. 
Remember I told you there's benefits in things that are not right. You can't package it in something else. Package it with a whole bunch of bows and ribbons and have sin in it that's going to bite you like a serpent. And we're, that's the society we're living in. We're living in a society where what I just said about that Equality Act is going to be declared by somebody as hate speech. But how can we stand here as a church knowing the principles of God and just simply say, well, that, we just kind of let that go? You can't. It's not about equality. It's about sin. It's about man wanting to do what man wants to do and not obey the authority of God. That's what it's about. And yet, understand that the vanity of a Christless life is a life that's they're understanding. They're darkened. They're alienated from God. They're not going to live by godly principles. Hearts are blind. Romans 8, 6, and 7, Paul talked about and He told the church at Rome, he reminded them about that life that lived in the flesh. It will continue to, he talked about being carnally minded as death, but to be spiritually minded as life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. You can't expect a carnal mind that's been void of understanding, alienated from God, to be subject to the law of God. But God will have the final say. I have to keep reminding myself each and every day that none of these things is going unnoticed by God. Why is this important? Because these are the things that should be the farthest thing away from God's people. Remember the point here. Paul's not saying it's not going to exist. He's saying that kind of living should not exist in you. We somehow have to live in this world surrounded by vain, Christless lives and love people enough to speak the truth in love, not compromise, but also know that there's only one way. You are not going to Christianize society through legislation. It's not going to happen. I've said it a hundred times. You can get a born-again believer at Pennsylvania Avenue. You're not going to change society just because a believer is in the White House. You're not going to change it. The gospel. It's always been the gospel. From the very beginning, with Adam and Eve, it's always been the gospel. Cain and Abel, it's always been the gospel. Sodom and Gomorrah, it's always been the gospel. And yet those who know the gospel should not be living as if they're still ignorant of these truths. We should not be living in deadness and carnality. We shouldn't be living for how sensual, the more sensual we can get. And we certainly shouldn't be eager to indulge in every form of sin. Mankind somehow is figuring out new ways to sin. It's, it's not a... This is not just a happenstance, folks. Sinners will try to figure out any way possible to sin more. When you look at something on the, on the computer or the television and you think, just when I thought it couldn't get any worse... How did they come up with that? That's what a mind void of God does. See, by the grace of God, without the grace of God, you'd be thinking just like that. Without the grace of God, you say, oh, no, I wouldn't think like those people. There's your first problem right there. I would never. That wouldn't be me. You are what you are by the grace of God. Paul knew that. Paul knew I am what I am. But I also know that I'm still struggling with his old nature. 
One of the things I love about Paul, and I don't think Paul ever stood up with a holier-than-thou attitude and said, you know what, you guys are all struggling with this. I think he preached and he taught, and if we could see him, he would have said it in a way, look, I know exactly, I know exactly what society's doing to you. Sometimes us preachers get accused of being removed from society. I'm not removed from society. I'm facing the same troubles you are. I'm facing the same afflictions, same temptations, same trials. God has not put some, some force field around my house and around my family to where, look, I don't have to worry about this anymore. I'm concerned about it just like you are. But I also understand that to live in a society where that's the driving force, a Christless life. This one, these have all, they all stagger me. Understanding dark and alienated from the life of God, ignorance, blindness of their heart. But I think this one sums it up. Who being past feeling. You know what willful sin repeated over and over and over does? It numbs you. People that start off with a sin, a pet sin, I can almost guarantee you, you stay on that, you'll become numb to it. What used to be appalling, and I'm talking to you now, I'm talking to you as a believer. We, we like to, I know we like to separate ourselves and say, Ooh, I'm glad I dealt with all that. There's time now. You get pets in your life and you will keep going to that well, and keep going to that well, and keep going to that well. Before you know it, you're, you're okay with what you weren't okay with months ago. It didn't just happen. You're, you're numbing yourself to it. You're searing your conscience. It's not even affecting you anymore. You're just like, yeah, that's just, that's just society. Look, we, you can fight it. You can fight against it. It's just, it's coming. Folks, I've been, I've been as guilty as any. You get physically tired. You get spiritually tired. You, you, there's days you just don't want to fight. I get it. <laughs> you just don't want to fight. There's actually days you're arguing with yourself about, look, I'm justified in this. If you're not, I just confess to you, I do. Justify my own actions, even though eh, I'm a believer. Yes, I'm still struggling with the old flesh. It's still there. Paul's not talking about that you're not going to have struggles with it. He's talking about living as that's your end. Willful sin brings us to a place of our conscience being seared. Sin begins to be, we become numb to sin. He's talking about people that have gone so far, they're beyond this feeling. Their lust now has so seared their conscience to a, to a degree where they are no longer even sensible anymore. Hardened sinners will make people do things that are unthinkable. When you think about some of the sin that happens in this world, look, if you could see what sin is doing underneath the surface, you'd fully understand why what's happening is happening. These individuals maybe were once sensible of sin, but now their conscience is seared. It's dead. They live a desperate life immoral, self-centered life. Paul says they're past feeling. But notice they're not only past feeling, that they take action, having have given themselves over unto lasciviousness. 
to work all uncleanness with greediness. You know what it is? What greedy, you know what greedy is? Is to want more and get more. They actually get to the place where their past feeling, they've now been, they give themselves over to lasciviousness, every evil act, anything they can think of, and they do it with greediness. They want more unclean. <laughs> That's what it says. You see how insensible sin becomes. You get to a point where you can't get enough to satisfy that sin. You talk to some of these, and I'm going to say this, you talk to these, and I'm going to frame this properly, you talk to these men and women who are caught up in pornography, it's never enough. And notice I mentioned women too. Because it's a struggle there too. I know it's, oh, this, this is a man's problem. You better do your research. This is not just a man's problem. This is a man and a woman's problem. And I'm telling you, it gets to the place where you cannot sin enough. And it ruins every aspect of your life. It'll ruin you as a parent. It'll ruin you as a husband. It'll ruin you as a wife. It'll put things in your mind that you've got to stay away from it. And you are being bombarded with it on this thing we're recording this service with. <laughs> Delivered. Push of the button. Talk to counselors across the across the country, and you'll find out that some of the greatest, the number greatest numbers of people that they have in these counseling sessions are people with a profession of faith. So to say this doesn't happen, we're fooling ourselves. It's happening, and Paul warning, saying, "Do not walk according to the lust, like somebody who's never been converted still walks." Why does he have to remind people who are already believers? Because he knows that there's still a struggle there. Imagine giving yourself or abandoning yourself over to sin as much as you can. That's what Paul is talking about. Imagine where you and I would be today before the light of the gospel shined brightly in our heart. Imagine where we would be that as the gospel went forth and God in His effectual power opened our eyes to see our own sin, to see our morality, to remind us of who we are who no longer have a desire to live for uncleanness and greedy about how much sin we can acquire, but yet to know with assurance, like that song we sang, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able. That thought you did not get in an intellectual ascent. You got because God in his grace opened your eyes. You ought to be appalled when we see sin at any level. You're supposed to feel that way. You're supposed to feel appalled when you see what's happening in our schools and what's going to be happening to our young children and what your children are going to be required to be taught. You just need to know. You just need to know. It's not a reform to make schools Christ-centered, I can tell you. If anything, we're moving farther and farther away from that, moving more and more into the vanity of a Christless life. The more I get Christ out of this public square, the more I get Christ out of this school, and that goes not just for elementary schools, junior highs, high schools, that goes all the way into college and every higher learning education. If you think there's not an intentional purpose of driving Christ out, you've got your heads in the sand and you've got to get them out of there. Legislation is being passed with the intent of doing, making this life Christless. Because if I drive Christ out of it, 
If I get out of there, I can pretty much do whatever I want to do. We have to be, as believers today, we have to stop and think and consider where are we standing and what are we going to stand upon? Are we going to stand where we understand what, 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 what society really is? And yet, notice Paul as he, he reminds them, he says, and we're going to deal more with this next week, but ye have not so learned Christ. He said, none of this, none of this way of living did you learn from Christ. These unbelieving Gentiles, they were wise in evil things. They were smart in sinful things. But in spiritual things, as 2 Corinthians 4 and 1 Corinthians 2 tells us, their understanding was darkened of spiritual things. Alienated from the life of God because of sin. They have life. They're actually alive. They have natural physical life. They do know things. Some of the smartest people that have ever lived from an intellectual knowledge standpoint were unbelievers. From a knowledge, if you measure it by knowledge. But they were Christless. There have been stories of some of the wisest people on their deathbed still refusing to acknowledge that there's a God. They stepped out into a Christless eternity. Their Christless life extended into a Christless eternity. They are given over to whatever sin their corrupt natures wants. That's what a Christless life is. I do what I want, whatever my sin wants me to do, whatever I want to go, however I want to live, I'm going to do what I want to do. Paul states that true believers cannot live in this manner. They cannot live in a life that's dominated by sin and indulging in every fleshly lust because they could not have possibly learned that from Christ and it could not possibly be present to where their life is dominated by their sin. The vain life is a life without Christ. That's as simple as you can put it. Next week, we're going to begin with that statement in verses 20 and 21. Paul says, but you have not learned so Christ. If so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. The worst life now and for eternity is a life without Christ. The vain life is a Christless life.